0: no. So I get radically saved. Jesus appears to me. How many of you want to know what he said? Come to my seminar. Oh, yeah. Jesus appears to me, sets me free in a moment. No withdrawal symptoms. I come completely out of the overdose in that moment, and uh, I just got set on fire, and I was so hungry, I was more passionate about encountering Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit than I ever was in pursuing drugs, and I pursued drugs hard, but I pursued Jesus even harder, and I still do, and so I heard about a revival in Pensacola, Florida, and I've got to move quickly, guys, I'll never get through all of my teaching. But I go down there and and like Pastor Christian said, they would line up outside in order to get inside the church. I'd never seen that before. Okay? Who lines up in a hundred-degree heat to get inside of a church with no advertisement? There were there wasn't an internet back then. And so nobody knew about it. It was just the fire of God fell in a church. And so I went there and I was standing in line and I walk into the church and you could just feel the manifest presence of God. It was so strong. It was thick. It was like walking into a sauna. (laughs) And so you, (laughs) you walk in and it's just this thick, heavy, weighty glory. It was the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is clean. And it was such a clean atmosphere and I was immediately convicted of, of things in my life. And as people walked into the church, they just started falling down under the power of the Spirit. Nobody was even praying for them. The glory was just so heavy that they were falling down. And I saw some people manifesting and shaking. And I said, oh, that's not God. That must be the devil. Or they have a disease or something. <laughs> and so I go into the worship service and uh, start worshiping the Lord. And it's so heavenly. I thought I was being raptured. You know, I had to look around, and I don't even believe in a pre-trib rapture. And, I, you know, I'm looking around making sure everybody is, like, still there, you know. And, and so it was just so heavenly. And uh, the first time I ever saw the raw power, the anointing on another man, uh, it was the evangelist Steve Hill. And he, he called a youth group up, and he said, we're going to pray for these guys and uh, extend your hands. And so they, everyone extended their hands, and then he started praying for these young people. And it was so violent. It was like, all he would say is, now, now, now. And these people started falling to the ground like wet noodles. You know, it wasn't the courtesy drop, like, oh. You know, it wasn't real light with a catcher and a little blankie over them. You know, no. This was like... These people got hit with the power, and they were shaking on the floor like pieces of bacon in a frying pan you know and then the waves of his presence were just coming off the stage with with power, kind of like i 'm feeling now <laughs> you know when you talk about encounters, stuff it starts happening in the room, so just be open, guys, this is going to be so a time of freedom. I want you to be free. Forget about who's around you. Forget about what you look like or what you might look like if the power of God comes on you in that way. You know, just get free from that because we're going to have fun this week, but we want to meet with God and you were made for encounter. So just be open and say, Lord, I don't care what you do to me. You know, I want to be changed. How many of you need to be changed? I need to be changed. Y'all might have to roll me out of here. Which, which is what leads to my story. I would go in, and uh, so he prayed for these people, and I felt the waves of the glory coming. And all of a sudden, he said, lift your hands, the fire of God's in the room. And he started praying for the fire to be released, and something touched me. And I don't know if an angel came by and touched me or what, but I, I went down on the ground, and I was on the ground for like two hours. And it felt like 15 minutes, because I don't know if you've ever been in the Shekinah glory. I mean, I've been in it just a few times, but it's like you're moving in honey, just in slow motion. And so two hours felt like 15 minutes because there's no time or space in the realm of the spirit. So you just get caught up in that. And I wish I had time to tell you stories about the Shekinah glory. Uh, I don't. I wish I did. I'm telling you, I got so much in my heart. I just want to. Uh, tell you everything. And so I'm on the ground, and all of a sudden I feel like waves of liquid fire going back and forth over my body. And Charles Finney, an, an American evangelist, had a similar encounter. He said he felt waves of liquid fire moving through his body. And I could just feel it moving through my body, and all of a sudden my body started to react to those waves. And I got up and I was jerking, just like those people were that I thought had a disease or a demon. And so I get on the plane ride back, and I can't even eat my pretzels and drink my Coke because I'm shaking under the power of God. For three days, I shook nonstop. Three days. The most humbling thing I ever experienced. (laughs) You know, I still shake when I'm under it. You know, you might see me this weekend shake a little bit. But, you know, it's just when the glory's on my physical body, my body just starts to vibrate sometimes. And that's okay, because the Holy Spirit will come on you in ways that you never thought were possible. He's not always the gentle little dove. Okay, he he is powerful, and we'll talk about that in the seminar. But um, I was so hungry, what I would do is I would get prayer from one guy, and then I would fall down, get back up, and go to another guy and say, pray for me again. And I would pray, I'd fall down, he'd pray for me, I'd get back up, and I'd go to another guy and so when it, t- it came time to leave, I'd be so drunk in the spirit and, I, and the spirit would be on me so heavy that they would have to pick me up and put me in a wheelchair and wheel me outside and then dump me in the grass. <laughs> and I literally would lay in the grass for like hours and it was so warm, the, atmos- the climate was so warm, I went and bought a lawn chair At a local grocery store and I just put it first in line for the next night. I'm talking about hunger. And I just sat there until the doors opened again. And I ran in the church. I was so hungry. I ran in. For two years straight, non-stop, I didn't miss a service. And I was probably slain in the spirit 10 to 15 times a week for two years straight. I was hungry, man. I still am. I'll go anywhere. You tell me there's an outpouring of the Spirit, I'll go. And I'll take my yellow handkerchief with me. Ooh. No, there's nothing special about it being yellow, so don't go buy a yellow handkerchief. But uh, I have carried this with me everywhere I go. And any man or woman of God that I know of that's raised the dead has prayed for this handkerchief. And so there's an impartation that comes. And that's something I've prayed for for this retreat is that there would be an impartation come upon you guys, that there would be some fire to come upon you. Now, this is how impartation works. You know, I can't give you what I have. That would be so unfair. You know, you pay a price to get certain things in the kingdom. So if I just laid hands on you and got you got what I have, that's just wrong. (laughs) My God, that's not fair. But what I can do, I take this analogy. It's like I have a battery. You know, you have a car battery. You have a car battery. I take my jumper cables and I hook my battery up to your battery and you get filled up. Now, in order for you to maintain your battery, you've got to go to the secret place and get your own jumper cables. And hook them up to Jesus. Okay? So you might get a jolt, but it's up to you to maintain it and to grow and expand in the anointing. And some of that comes with a price, and that's something I'll talk about tomorrow. So, I was very hungry and desirous of the supernatural and the power of the spirit, and it's out of that that I got called to uh, do ministry in Paris, France. Now, I wanted to go to the darkest place in the earth, and Paris is one of those. Black magic warlocks get trained in Paris, France. And so you look at New Orleans, I don't know if you guys know, the black magic that's there, or Haiti and the black magic that's there. It's all French motivated. It all comes from a French culture. And so I go there and uh, I don't know if I told this story last time I was with you, but I anointed all of Paris, France (laughs) with anointing oil. I had this idea, why don't we just get eight bottles of olive oil and then go rent some rollerblades and, and fill them with squirt guns. Or fill the squirt guns with, with olive oil. Let's fill them up. And then let's anoint the entire city. And so I, I had some crazy other guys who said, sure. Sure, let's do this, man. You have to understand, my mentality was, I'll take on any demon there is. I mean, just Fearless. I, you know, I was just like, "Bring it on!" Where's the darkest place in the world? I'll go there. Stupid, <laughs> stupid, just ignorant, man, ignorant. So I fill up the the squirt guns and we go at it, man. I've, I've got some warfare music playing on. You know, I'm skating. We go to the red light district. I'm just squirting everything. <laughs> I mean I went into Notre Dame man guns blazing in Notre Dame I mean red light district squirting prostitutes I kept my head down and I just kept going man I just kept going and uh, (laughs) I'm not kidding and uh Man, I went to the Arc de Triomphe, right, where Napoleon came into the city and declared himself God. I'm like, I'm going there, man. The Chandelier, the fashion district, you got Jezebel and Antichrist spirits all over the place. And I go to the top, man, north, south, east, and west. You foul Antichrist demon, you come down in the name of Jesus. I did it. Skated right down the Chandelier, straight to Napoleon's tomb, or the Louvre. You know the Louvre? You know, underneath the Louvre is like where uh, there, there's like ancient artifacts and there's actually uh, Egyptian monuments back from the time of Pharaoh. So these are old demons, man. These are like Pharaoh demons. And they had the Mona Lisa there and I almost squirted the Mona Lisa. I, they would have probably put me in jail if I squirted the Mona Lisa, but man, I was going for it. I even squirted. Went over to Napoleon's tomb and squirted it. Like, take that, man. Take that. Take that. (laughs) Zeal. (laughs) Without wisdom. (laughs) Zeal without wisdom. And, uh, well, at the end of the day, there's a famous Opry Center. And I looked up, the sun was setting, and all of a sudden this veil, this curtain fell. And it was a red curtain, it had Jesus on the cross. I had just gotten done anointing everything. And and this curtain fell, and there's Jesus. I mean, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Prophecy came on me. And He said, I have a remnant in this city. And I will send revival. And the floods in the natural will confirm the floods that I send in the Spirit. And two years later, Paris had the highest floodwaters they've ever had. And the Lord told me that's a first fruits. And he gave me Zechariah 10.1 before I ever went, that he would send the latter rain in the time of the spring rain. So there's a revival coming to Paris. But that's what got me thrown into deliverance ministry. Uh, I had this anointing from the revival. And I, I would do... Services in Paris, and half the service, the people would be completely demonized. And I was in this one service, and like a porthole opened up, like a Jacob's ladder, where angels started descending and descending in the middle of the room. And everyone on the right side of the room got hit with the power of God. Everybody on the left side of the room started manifesting demons. And, you know, witches were coming to my meetings, and they were like shaking bones and cursing me while I'm preaching, and I'm like, this is awesome.
1: I'm like, yes,
0: thank you, Jesus. I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, you guys got to get out of fear, you know, this whole stuff. It's like you come to my meeting, you might get saved. You're not going to put nothing on me. You might just get something on you. And so it's a different paradigm. And so obviously I got thrown into the deep end of the pool, and that's when I started doing deliverance ministry. And so I told that whole story just to tell you how I got into deliverance ministry. (laughs) Uh, just, Just so you know, whenever I did go into that time of anointing the city, I did get backlash. I was sick for two weeks straight and almost died. They had to take me to the hospital, set up an IV and everything. And so I don't recommend going to regions and confronting principalities. There's a way to do it, and I'll let your pastor teach you those things at another time. But you do use wisdom. We don't fear, but we respect our enemy and the rules of engagement. Okay. Let me pray for you before I get in the word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We Thank you for the anointing. Lord, I pray that you would touch each and every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, that our hearts would be changed. Lord, we don't just want another good retreat. We want to be changed. We we don't just want to play games, God. We want you to come. We want to meet with you. That's why we're here. So, Lord, we focus our hearts. We set our mind on things above right now. Lord, we receive the seed implanted through your word. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Moving quickly, I'm going to go so fast through this stuff, you better get the CD or the teaching if it's recorded later. But uh, I'm going to teach you straight out of Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to zip through the whole chapter. What the Lord's called me to do when I go into places is, one, teach on the knowledge of God. And then teach on your spiritual identity in Christ. Now, there are three eternal identities of a believer. How many of you know them? I don't have time, otherwise I'd interact with you and and we we would talk about these. But the three eternal identities, this is who you are once you are born again. If you have been born again of the Spirit by believing in Jesus Christ, you automatically become these three things. The first one is you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Now, everyone knows that. We've been told, you're I'm a child of God. But look, I can go on the street corner and talk to any homeless person or any drug addict, and they can tell me about Jesus. Most of them can tell me about Jesus, but it's just intellectual knowledge, Right? There needs to be a living reality. It's not just about getting information, guys. Reading the Bible is not just about getting information. And so even though you may hear it, that doesn't mean you're walking in the reality of it. So even what I tell you tonight, don't take it just because I said so, because there's a deception on the body of Christ that says we've become hearers of the word rather than doers deceiving our own selves because what happens is one guy will stand up here and talk about his experience and just because he's experienced, we think we have experienced it and we check it off our list because we heard it just because it's in our intellectual box. That's the deception. You think you have something, but you don't have it. And Look, when you think of being a son of the most high God, you have to think of, well, Jesus came to show us what it means to be a son of the most high God. And he didn't do it through intellectualism or theological debate. He could have, couldn't he? I mean, Jesus could have took everyone from Genesis to Malachi and said, look, this prophecy is about me and I'm going to fulfill this. Watch. You know, this prophecy is about me. I mean, he could have done that. But when John the Baptist questioned whether or not Jesus was the Messiah or the one who is to come, Jesus told John, disciples said, go tell John the lame walk, the blind see and the dead are raised. Jesus taught us how we are sons of God because we have authority over creation. And that's exactly what the book of Romans chapter eight talks about. Jesus said, look, I'm a son of God. Therefore, I'm going to walk on this water. I'm a son of God. Therefore, I can speak to a fig tree and it will wither and die if I command it to. Or I can speak to someone who needs healing if they need a new arm or new leg and I'll speak to it and it'll just grow. Or if someone needs a new eyeball, I can spit into the mud and create a new eyeball right there on the spot. And we're going to see in this chapter where all of creation was meant to be subjected to the sons of God. And it is longing and waiting us to step into that reality. And so in Romans chapter 8, let me finish the three identities. So when you think of sonship, think of dominion. Dominion was lost at the fall of man. Jesus came as a new Adam and restored dominion back to the sons of God. Now, the second identity is you are the bride of Christ. I don't have time to go into it, but you need to run at a marathon pace In seeking and pursuing this reality of who you are. That you are altogether beautiful. And altogether lovely. And that you ravish the king's heart every time you glance at him. I mean look, I love my wife. She is stunning. And I have an office. And nobody is allowed in my office. I know jujitsu. And I will tap you out if you come into my office, unless I invite you. But if my wife puts on my favorite dress, and she fixes her hair and puts on my favorite perfume, and she walks into my office, it doesn't matter. Well, you can come do whatever you want. I mean, because she ravishes my heart. I say, you don't even have to ask me, you have whatever you want. I know she's coming to ask me something, so... It doesn't matter. Whatever you want, you can have it. And that's the parable. That's the analogy we see in the book of Esther. Where Esther beautified herself and came before the king. And it's an analogy of we as the bride of Christ when we come into his presence. He extends his scepter. And he says, you have ravished my heart. By one glance of your eye. By by your very act of turning to me in any way. I'm overwhelmed by feelings and emotions towards you. If you don't relate to God in that way, you've got to run into that truth because that's who you are and that's how he feels. If you have trouble receiving that or you have trouble walking in the reality of that, then it's time to cut off those accusations against your life and begin to stand in your true identity as the bride of Christ. Because that is how he feels about you. The third identity. So when you think of the bride, if you're taking notes, I always think of his affections and his emotions. You have access to his affections and emotions. The third identity is probably the most neglected identity in the body of Christ today, but the Lord is releasing revelation about it, and it is the priesthood. Jesus said, and if you don't believe the words of Moses, how can you believe my words? Two-thirds of the writings of Moses were on the priesthood. God established a priesthood, Aaron and his sons, in order to be set apart so that they might encounter him. That they may be able to come into his presence, encounter who God is, and then go out from his presence and reveal God to the people. The knowledge of God. That is worship. An intercession. You go in and you worship God. You get revelation of who God is. And then you carry that revelation with you as you encounter the glory. Then you reveal and proclaim that glory to the people. Then you see with the need of the people and the condition of man. You get burdened with that. And then you carry that burden back to God as an intercessor. And you say, but God. I mean, that's what Moses did, right? He encountered God and then he told the people who God was. And then Paul the Apostle said, We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're tearing down every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against what? Come on, guys. Against the knowledge of God. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You've got to know this verse. And see, most people apply that to themselves. They're like, yes, I need to take my own thoughts captive. But that's not the context of the verse. The context says that Paul the Apostle was taking other people's thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That was his calling, that was his ministry, to proclaim the truth of the knowledge of God. And it it confronts the accusations in the minds of the people. So that they can have a choice to either believe the lie or embrace the truth. So that's what we do and that's what a priest does. It's your function. It's your calling. So many people are searching for titles in this earth. They're looking for identity. There's an identity crisis, even in the body of Christ. But did you know you've already been given a name and a title higher than any title you'll ever get on earth? You're a priest, it's your function and your calling. You are called to worship and to intercede. And that doesn't matter if you're in college, if you're working in the marketplace, if you're full-time in the church. You have access to God. And that's the, mo- that's the most amazing thing I could tell you today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, says that there's a new and living way. And that we have access if we come to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the language there is in reference to the ironic priesthood in Leviticus chapter 8. But it's saying if you can come in that way with confidence, then you have access into the holy of holies. Now that is the most profound thing I could tell you guys. I know I'm, I'm looking at many of you and you're staring at me like a deer caught in headlights. You have access into the holy of holies, not the earthly tabernacle. It's a copy and shadow of the heavenly reality. But you have access before the throne of God. It's an amazing truth. Only Moses could go. And that was limited to once a year. Now the veil's been torn, the flesh of Jesus Christ. There's a new and living way. Oh my gosh, guys, I wish I had time to break it down to you. But let's look in Romans chapter 8. Those are the three eternal identities. And this is how this works. If you have a broken place in your soul concerning who God is, then you're not going to be able to embrace what he says about you. The enemy lied to Eve in the very beginning and said, did God say that? And got Eve to question God's goodness. And it's the same accusation the enemy brings to us today. He gets you to question. Is God really good? Does God really love me? Why is God withholding this from me? Why does this person get all these things and he hasn't done that for me? Why does this person get healed and I haven't got healed? Why does this person get saved but this person doesn't get saved? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I look the way I look? And there's there's constant accusation from the accuser, demonic spirits, in your ear getting you to question God's goodness. And if you can embrace that lie, then you won't believe what God says about you when you read it in the word of God. And the enemy's goal is to keep you from fulfilling the greatest two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as what? Yourself. If you you don't believe God loves you, you're not confident in his love, you're not going to believe what he says about you and your identity. Therefore, you can't properly love others. So that's the enemy's goal is to sow that seed of accusation against God and against yourself. And we as preachers, we proclaim the truth and then you get to choose. The Holy Spirit illuminates in your mind and your emotions who God is and how he feels about you. You embrace that and demons will leave. In Romans chapter 8, we find an awesome, awesome text. A chapter in the Bible. Just to give you a little background, Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. Now, Rome at that time was very corrupt, and it was also a a place of sensual appetite. They had everything you can imagine to appeal to the senses of the human flesh they they superseded governments they supersede social activity entertainment everything this was like a modern day system of influence we find ourselves today in a similar situation where everything around us seems to draw our attention into our sinful lust and that's what the believers in Rome were experiencing So Paul writes them in the midst of this conflict, how to live their life and how to stand in the midst of all this seduction and sinful behavior rather than trying to integrate into it. So let's read. I'm going to try to get through the entire chapter as fast as possible. I may not get through it. I'll pick it up tomorrow if I don't. But in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Obviously, the believers were struggling living in that atmosphere. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Living in an atmosphere of all this chaos and and government and authority that's abusive. That's why so many people have have trouble submitting to authorities, because most of the authority today is abusive. We don't want to submit to this authority. But Paul says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the word condemnation doesn't even apply on any level to a believer. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you're under condemnation? That's not a true statement. I don't know if that translates to the Korean culture. But what, what someone's saying when they say you're under condemnation or you're battling condemnation, they're saying you're just under shame and guilt. But you shouldn't even associate with the word condemnation because condemnation actually means to be sentenced to death. Look, when you become born again, you're never in fear of condemnation. You're born again and you're never going to die. You're never going to die. There's no condemnation. You see, the Roman law at the time, they would subject people to death if they sinned. The Roman law had intertwined with Judaistic law and the Pharisees were cooperating with the Roman government, the Roman cohort and putting people to death when they sinned. That's how how Jesus got crucified. That's why he goes on in verse two, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Oh, my gosh, that's so powerful. I want you to catch that. The law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're not under condemnation when you sin. The wages of sin is death, but thanks be to God, you're under a different law. You're operating in a totally different law. You're operating the law of the spirit of life. You know, if you're in a courtroom and someone tries to bring judgment on you and the judge says, by what law are we judging this man? Well, the enemy's not going to be able to say the law of this world is judging him. Jesus is going to stand up and say, nope, the law of the spirit. Innocent. Innocent. The law of sin of death says guilty punishment. Guilty punishment. But the law of the spirit is life and peace. Innocent. I mean, are you walking in that reality? By the law of the Spirit, I'm free. That motivates me to want to serve Jesus, more so than a punishment. That law liberates me. So that I can live for Jesus with my whole heart without fear, an ungodly fear. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Come on. That's awesome. Let's read, jump down to verse 5 through 8. I want you to catch this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now, let's look at this. I used to wonder what it meant to have my mind set on the flesh. And oftentimes I would think, well, that means sexual thoughts. That's the first thing I usually went to. But the Lord one day really opened up this verse to me and says, no. The spirit that's operating in this world entices our flesh to a lot more things than just sexual immorality. It's a lot bigger than just sexual immorality. You see, the Roman government had put systems in place, and this is how it works in the second heaven. You have the first heaven, which is heaven, where God is, where the throne is, where the angels and the glory dwell. Then you have the second heaven. I'm sorry, that's the third. (laughs) I've got it mixed up. The first is the earth. The first heaven is the earth where we dwell now. The third heaven is where the glory and the throne and the angels and God is. But then you have the second heaven... And what happened at the fall of man is demons started setting up thrones in the second heaven. And what happens in the realm of darkness is a principality, a demon, will find a person in the first heaven on the earth who yields or bows their knee to them and says, I will follow you, I will obey you. And so that, what happens to the throne of Satan, there's a throne of Satan. The book of Revelation talks about the throne of Satan. It is a throne of hatred, lust, murder, incest, abortion, homosexuality. It is a throne that delegates assignments to other subservient spirits in the second heavens called principalities. And they find men and women on the earth that that submit themselves to those demons to orchestrate their agenda. You guys follow me? The same way God does. Because the enemy is just a counterfeiter. God searches to and fro for someone who will bow their knee to Him. And say, God, I'll do whatever so that your agenda by the Holy Spirit can be operated through me. So the demons do the same thing. And you need to be aware of this. Because these demons are manipulating our culture and different systems around us. In order to reject and resist the sons of God in the earth. So Satan's agenda through the principalities is. Let's find this CEO in this business and raise him up as a president. Let's find this witch or warlock and get them to infiltrate this church. Let's set up a governmental system that does nothing but support injustice. Let's set up an educational system that detaches young people from their parents let's set up a social or society where everyone is jockeying for position and, and the standard of beauty is so high nobody can attain it or let's let's set up an entertainment industry that's so full of lust and perversion and fame and fortune and let's redefine what it means to be successful And so the mindset on the flesh is when you are walking around looking to try to fit into those systems. That there's a religious system that's put in place that tries to get you into performance in order to feel the pleasure of God. So we walk around as people because you read this verse and you're like, wait a minute, I'm in flesh, right? Uh, How can I not be in the flesh? Well, you just need to get into proper alignment because you have a spirit and I often pray a prayer every time I get up. I'm like, Lord, I command my body to submit to my soul. I command my soul to submit to my spirit. I command my spirit to submit to the Holy Spirit. I will not be led by any other spirit other than the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And so I'm walking in the spirit. Therefore, whenever the the different signs pop up of lust and perversion, naked women, or whenever this TV commercial comes on, or whenever I'm trying to find my recognition or success being defined by this earth, I resist it because it's contrary to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's in me. So let's read further. Verse 9. It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The spirit is alive inside of you because you have faith in the righteousness that Jesus walked in. Now, how many of you read that verse when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and Jesus said, if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye calls you to stumble, pluck it out. How many of you have thought, oh my gosh, I, I better go cut my hand off. You know, if that verse was literal, we should all be walking around like this. That verse is not literal. I just want to set you free right now. If You've been, you've been thinking about plucking your eye out recently, but look, The pharisaical system was set up based on performance. And what Jesus was doing was confronting that performance because they thought they were sinless. And so he brought conviction to the entire room when he said that. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not worthy of the kingdom. It's a righteousness based on faith in his ability to forgive you. Your righteousness is based on your faith to believe that Jesus Christ will forgive you. That's the righteousness we enter into and that puts to death the deeds of the flesh. We walk in a different righteousness, not based on performance. Again, that's part of the systems that are set in place in the religious system today. And many of that's crept into our homes, hasn't it? Look, the, the religious system we see today fits so into the to the systems of this world there's hardly a difference that's why there's no persecution that's why there's no resistance because when the principalities look down on this church they say we'll let them keep doing that they're just operating out of performance anyway they're not walking in a spirit of truth to the extent that you walk in the spirit of truth will be the extent that you are persecuted that's a whole another message. Jesus. Verse 14. Let's just jump over. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by sons by which we cry out. Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption. Now, have any of you ever thought about the adoption process and what goes on? All right, they take a couple or someone into a room and they show them a bunch of children. And they get to pick out which child they want. Or you actually flip through a book and you get to decide which child you want. Did you know God adopted you? Have you ever thought about that? That God looked down and He said, I want that one. I want that one. Isn't that awesome? He chose you. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. I mean, that changes a whole perspective on the way God sees you. He looks at you right now and says, I chose you. Just the way you are. I love your hair. I love your if you have hair by the way. I love your nose. I love how tall you are. I love your ears and that funky crooked toe you have. Whatever it is, he says, I love that one. I want that one you got to walk in the reality of these things. And it can take years of just fighting the accusations because the enemy's right there to say, you're not pretty enough. You're never going to get married. You're never going to be successful. You're never going to have enough money. You're not worthy. You're never going to prophesy. You'll never be a pastor. You'll never preach. You're full of failure. That's the lie right there. Just whispering in your ear all the time. He's never going to like you. She's never going to like you. But the spirit of adoption says, Abba, you cry out in the midst of that fear of rejection. When it says you are, you've been set free from the spirit of slavery that leads to bondage. And that what it just said, you've been set free from the fear of rejection of the systems of this world. If you're looking for this world's standards of success and beauty recognition, you're going to feel resistance if you've truly been born again. Because the Spirit of God resists that system. I didn't read it, but the verse in Romans also said, if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Those who aren't born again cannot please God. Secular musicians... If someone's not born again, then they are under the influence of this world system and they have a wrong worldview because they don't know God. And when you subject yourself to their wisdom, it's a clash of two wisdoms. And you submit yourself to their doctrine and their teaching as you listen to them. And the only reason you enjoy it is because you can relate to it on some level. And you're not supposed to relate to it. You weren't meant to fit into that system. And that's why there's resistance. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the church in Rome. That system's going to resist you and you're going to feel it. And what's going to come is suffering. As we read in verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with us that we are the children of God. And look, this is important because you should have an experiential Christianity. You shouldn't just be a head knowledge, walk by faith in my mind. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are meant to experience His power. You are meant to walk in His power. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We've gotten away from an experiential gospel. Paul said, I did not come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but I come to you in the demonstration of power, because I don't want your faith to rest on the wisdom of men. I mean, how much of that do we see today? But I want your faith to be on the power of God. Paul would just provoke people. He'd preach the wisdom and the knowledge of God, who he is, and then he would get out of the way and let the Spirit come and bear witness of the resurrection. Where's the power at? Where's the power at? What is power? It's not just unction for preaching. I'm talking about signs and wonders and miracles. Things that make you wonder. Look, the first step to you uh, experiencing more of the miraculous power of God is stop having to figure everything out. Stop having to understand everything. The sooner you let go of needing to understand everything, the sooner you'll experience more of the power of God. you got to let that intellectual pride go. But a culture can resist that, won't it? Because it's all about how much knowledge you get in our colleges, right? I'm telling you these institutions are set up by demonic principalities. Where was I? Verse 17. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we what? Share. Suffer or share in his sufferings. That we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Look, when you stand up against these systems, there will be suffering. There will be resistance. And young people, I know many of you, this might just be flying over your head. But this is to prepare you. One of these days you're going to come back to Uncle Stephen and say, thank you for telling me that. Because when you stand in the Spirit of God against this world and its ways, it will gnash its teeth against you. It will bite you back. And you, were not to, you were not meant to fit into it. And for the sake of time, i got five minutes. I'm going to blast you real quick. The next part of this chapter talks about how all of creation is suffering the pains of a woman in labor. like a woman groaning, giving travail. That's why there's earthquakes. That's why there's famines. That's why there's tsunamis. That's why animals are turning on people. This creation was never meant to be subjected to those second heaven principality demons. They were meant to be subjected to you. You were meant to walk this earth and govern it. And you will rule and reign with Christ in the millennium when he returns. And until then, all of creation is panting and waiting. And it says creation groans. And then the verse goes on to say, we groan. Have you ever groaned for the revelation of sonship to be released in the earth? When you talk about release travail, God, release the groans. Well, you've got to look at it in context. Verse 26 says, in the same way. In the same way as what? In the same way that creation groans. In the same way that we groan. The Spirit Himself comes and groans with utterances too deep for words. Because He too wants you to know who you are. That you are the sons of the Most High God. And you were meant to dwell on this earth and have dominion over it. Now I want to ask you again, do you believe you're a son or a child of the Most High God? Then let's believe it and stand up in the face of these accusations. Let's be that people. Contrary to the ways of this world. Come out from among them. Be separate. Don't subject yourself to these things. It's not what you were made for. You were made for encounter. You were made for His glory. That the glory of God would fill the earth. As the earth covers the sea. And oh if I had just... oh. The next part of this verse, I believe Paul got completely possessed by the Spirit of God when he wrote these next verses. Because he's talking about the suffering, he's talking about warring against the, the mind set on the flesh. Then he breaks out in this most elegant pa- passage of Scripture that you'll ever read. I'm just going to read it. I might go a minute over, but I'm going to read it. Verse 28. I'm just going to read all the way through. Now, as I read this, I want you to understand what Paul's going through. This man had the anointing come on him so thick, so strong. I believe it's just straight. It's all straight unction. It's the Bible, right? But Paul in this moment had to be so gripped with just a faith and a burning to see the reality of this manifested. Verse 28, it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is when I know he just breaks out. I mean, how could you not after you write something like Jesus intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Overwhelming faith. Overwhelming confidence in the midst of all circumstances. I want to invite you to stand. There were two things the Lord highlighted in prayer. You know, the enemy uses many tools to try to seduce us. The way the spirit of seduction works is, just imagine if you're cutting grass. Do you guys cut grass in Korea? You don't cut grass. Alright, I need another analogy. Just imagine you're cutting grass. And you hear something calling to you on the other side of the wall. And all of a sudden you start thinking, it's better over there. And the the voice is calling you saying, look over here. It's better over here. And it's the voice of that accuser. It's the voice that says, look at this pornography. This is what you want. Look at this. This is success. Look at all the money. Look at all the the things you can buy with money. Look at this. This is the standard of beauty. You have to look like this if you want to be lovely or be considered beautiful. God's not good. It's a lot funner over here. Don't join that church. Don't go to church. It's funner over here. Listen to us. We're partying every night. And it seduces you and you you go and you get a ladder. You put it up against that wall and you just start walking up that wall to look and see. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to live this life with everything going around me. Everything's distracting me, God. I want to live for you, but it just seems so much better on the other side. And the minute you look, it's got you. Demons come. You fall into a snare. Every time you look, every time you desire, every time you gaze into that darkness with desire. We all stumble in many ways, but we've got to be able to discern that voice of the enemy. Two things the Lord showed me. One was envy. Do you compare yourself to others? Do you look at other people and say, oh, I wish I looked like her. Oh, I wish I had what she had. Do you look at that guy and say, man, I wish I was like him. Look how talented he is. Look how he plays the guitar. Look how he is in sports. Look how much favor he has with God. Look at that person. I wish God would touch me like that. I wish I could prophesy like that person. And you struggle with envy. Your eye is always comparing yourself to the person next to you. Let's just make this a a living room tonight. This is just family. There's nobody here judging anybody. This is a safe place. We just declare it right now in the Spirit. This is a safe place. This is a place where we can come honestly before the Lord. The second thing he showed me was was sensuality. Sensuality is different than immorality. Sensuality is when you try to allure other people to look at you. It's something that's so common and prevalent in our culture. It's when you dress a certain way to draw attention to yourself. And I'm not talking about just being fashionable. I love fashion. But, girls, if that fashion causes your brother to look at you in wrong areas, in ungodly ways, you need to stop doing it. We have to be countercultural, guys, for the sake of our brothers and our sisters, and even guys these days. Are your pants so tight, guys? I mean, really? These days it goes both ways, man. I mean, are you leaving nothing to the imagination, is what I'm telling you. You know, sensuality, if you do a word study for sensuality, it's just as strong as murder. Sensual. Are you flirting in a way that is enticing the flesh? Are you speaking in a way that is... Uh, provoking the, the imagination or the thoughts of even, even a young woman or a young man. These are the things the Lord's speaking to me about. What's infiltrating our culture, the systems of this world, is a sensuality and a seduction. But we're called to be other than holy, 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 holy unto the Lord. If you struggle with these things, I want to invite you forward. We need to repent. Just be brave and step out. If you know the Holy Spirit's highlighting one of these things, I invite you to come to these altars. You can come now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is a safe place. If you compare yourself to others and you know the enemy uses that against you, you hear the voice of the accuser constantly saying, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not doing enough. And guys, come all the way up if you can. Just to make room. You say, Lord, I want to be free from this. I want to walk in the truth of my identity. Come, Holy Spirit. If a full worship team wants to come up, I invite you to come come Holy Spirit oh He loves you He loves you if you struggle with believing the love of God for your life I want to invite you as well if you know you have any of the voices that, that I mentioned whispering in your ear and you want to be free from it I invite you to come And let me tell you something, sometimes you have to step out. When you step out, the chains break. Don't be afraid of what other people may think of you. Sometimes you have to step out. David said, I love to come to your altars, O Lord. It's a wonderful thing to come about the altars of the Lord. It's not a shameful thing, it's a glorious thing. It's a high calling to be able to come before His throne. Do you know how much He loves you? Do you know how much He loves you? Do you know who you are? Oh, you ravish His heart with every movement of your heart toward Him. Every thought that you have toward God, He he becomes overwhelmed with your beauty. Even now, the Lord's heart's beating fast beating fast I want you to know how much I love you I'm Holy Spirit Abba Daddy help us Daddy help us release grace God Right now, just begin to renounce envy right now. I renounce envy in the name of Jesus. I renounce comparing myself to others. I renounce the seducing spirit right now in the name of Jesus. I renounce all sensuality in the ways of this world in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. We turn, Lord, right now. Tell Him how you feel. We love you, Daddy. We love you, Abba. Change our hearts. Break the power of self hatred right now in the name of Jesus. We break your power now in the name of Jesus. All self hatred, all self hatred go in Jesus' name. Just to begin to renounce self hatred right now. He loves you. You are lovely. You are altogether lovely before Him. We break your power right now in the name of Jesus. Self hatred go. Go. Every accusation against you, go. Go, you lying spirit. Go, you lying spirit. Come on, tell him. Tell him yourself. Go, you lying spirit. Go, you lying spirit. Go, you lying spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I break the fear of failure right now in the name of Jesus. We break the power of the fear of failure in Jesus' name. You are successful because you love Him. You are successful because you love Him. He's proud of you. That needs to be said. He is proud of you. Right now, He is proud of you. Your daddy is proud of you. Your daddy is proud of you. Your daddy is proud of you. Oh, Jesus. Just receive His love right now. Oh, wash us, Jesus. Wash us in your love right now. Wash us in your love. Fear, go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of fear, go in Jesus' name. The fear of man, go in Jesus' name. When everyone engaged in the room, no distractions. break the power of the fear of man right now in Jesus name If you struggle with fear lift both hands right now chains are going to break right now fear is going to go fear is going to go you're going to dance this weekend you're going to dance you're going to shout you're going to get free from this fear of man you're going to get free from this fear of failure and this fear of not performing rightly or fear of what other people think about you. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we break the power. We break the power, the spirit of fear, in Jesus' name. We break it now in Jesus' name. Fear, go, right now in Jesus' name. Fear, go in Jesus' name. Go! 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 Just tell it to go right now. Tell it to go right now in the name of Jesus. If you struggle with fear, in Jesus' name, go! Jesus name go